preach in Jesus' name this morning. <clears throat> have to excuse my infirmities of the flesh while I preach this morning, so I'll try not to drone too long and with a nasal voice. <clears throat> One of the things that intrigue me are people. And sometimes I I just sit and I think, why do people do what they do? Why why do people act the way they act? Why why do they live the way they live? Um, what prompts what, what prompts my lifestyle? <clears throat> what governs how I think and how I respond and my priorities. <clears throat> and doing that, just contemplating that, I wondered. <clears throat> It has something to do with how we view the worth of our soul. Turn to Genesis 2. says, these are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created, in a day that the Lord God made the heaven, earth and the heavens, and every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth, and watered the whole face of the ground, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. So we see God in the picture here. We've got an earth that's being watered. It hadn't rained yet. Everything was good. God coming down and getting some dust. Just imagine God forming man out of dust. Use a little heavenly spit to get it to stick together. I don't know. But if God wants to make a man out of dust, he don't need water to do it either, I suppose. So, you know, it's just God does what he wants to do and however he wants to do it, that's how it happens. And he don't have to do it our way. <clears throat> and then we kind of see, I don't know, if God bent over and he breathed into man's nostrils. When God breathed into his nostrils, the Bible says he became a living soul. Mm -hmm. 
you know, whatever God does, He has eternal. It has an eternal dynamic. It has an eternal perspective. Simply because it's God. And God breathed into man. And I don't know what all happened there. But when God breathed into man, He breathed into him the eternal. The part of you and I that live forever. After our body decays, Job said, even though when skin worms destroy my body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. That eternal dynamic in every single person's life. That dynamic that sets you apart, me apart, every human being apart from all the cows and the birds and the cats and everything else. Now somehow or the other, I'm not sure how this all happened, but you know when uh, Adam needed to help me, he paraded all the animals in front of him. and I don't know. If anybody explained us that, this dynamic. But all these animals went by, and, and Adam says, No, huh? No. You know, I think Adam was recognizing that there was no soul there. That, that eternal dynamic in those animals. I mean, the ter- eternal dynamic was not in those animals. There was a barrier there. There was a distinct difference there. And, 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 and it was all done. They said, you know, there was no help suitable for Adam. How would you get, like to get married to a jackrabbit? Wouldn't be suitable, would it? No. Absolutely not. And I'll inject right here, it is a perversion when people take a dog or a cat and treat them like a child. That is a perversion. And there's plenty of that in our society today. I don't believe in abusing animals, etc. But there is that violation So we have here this morning, according to our attendance board, 84 souls. Eighty-four human beings that have that gift that God gave you, that eternal dynamic that God gave you from himself. 
That is incredibly amazing. Can you explain it? If you can, I'll give you the pulpit for five minutes. Help yourself. I use a term like Dwight says sometimes, in my small mind, I can't get a hold of it. How do you explain the eternal dynamic of man? Every person here is incredibly valuable. That eternal dynamic is incredibly valuable. It is a gift like no other gifts. And despite man, what man may do with their lives, despite how low into sin they may sink, despite how badly they have abused, neglected their God, plunged themselves into depravity, they still have an eternal soul. We can never forget that. We should never forget that. People are not trash. They simply aren't. Never, ever believe that a person is trash. Because they have a living soul. They still have within them that gift of eternity that will always be there. It's tragic how they may use it, but it's still there. But then I got to thinking, <clears throat> so how, how do I view my soul? Uh, we were talking about looking at other people and the temptation of maybe not valuing them because of the way they live, okay, or, you know. But have I ever treated my soul like trash? Disposable, not really worth anything. I can take it, I can leave it. You know, you don't hear much. I, you know, I was thinking about this. You don't hear much about people talking about souls. I mean, it was like years ago, you say, What, 84 souls here this morning? You know, and it's like I read about this huge boat in Chicago you go there today and and uh, there's this plaque along the river where they had this they had this boat and they were putting all these people on one company was putting all their people on to go to an island for a day 
the families, you know, the dads worked at the factory, and they put all the families, everybody on there, shipped them to some, some, um, I don't know what, some, anyhow. They, they were going for the day. It's a company holiday, and the company was paying for it, and it's a big deal. 800 people on there. And so it's time to go, and, you know, tooting the whistle and whatever, and people on the shore, they start waving and everybody goes to that side of the ship and starts waving and the ship goes and the count says that there was 800 souls this is 19 teens something 800 souls it's like that incredible So we talk about relationship with God, we talk about in our religious culture in America today, they talk about praise and worship, they talk about <coughs> a lot of different things, but how is it with my soul? That incredibly valuable gift of, with the dynamic of eternity in it. How, how am I caring for that personal gift that God has given me? Is it precious to me? Do I see it as the most valuable thing that I have ever been handed? We appreciate a lot of things. We appreciate, the, you know, a, a lot of things. We appreciate family. We appreciate friends. We appreciate all, all kinds of things. And, and we say they're valuable. What about my soul? Do I neglect it? Do I procrastinate addressing the care of my soul or the needs of my soul? Or do I have bigger and better things to do than to worry about my soul? I mean, eh, kind of take care of itself. <clears throat> Do I have bigger and better things to do in life? In the Bible, the rich fool had bigger and better things to do. He had barns to build. He had crops to harvest. Bank accounts to manage. Rich man, he had bigger and better things to do. And fool around with that beggar at the door. <clears throat> he cared less for Lazarus, let alone Lazarus' soul. There's something unique about that story. 
I find incredibly interesting. When a rich man found himself in hell, that eternal dynamic that he couldn't shed when he died, when they covered him up, he died and he was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes. Then he started having a conversation Abraham. You know what I find unique about that? <clears throat> he knew that he his brothers had bigger and better things to do than care for their soul. How did he know that? Go tell my brothers. He said, go tell my brothers so they don't come here. You know what he was saying? I know my brothers have soul problem. I know my brothers have bigger and better things to do than listen to the prophets that care about their souls. And go back there and tell my brothers. You know, sometimes we think, well, you know, my soul... I mean, it's just me. It don't affect anybody else. I don't know what his brothers thought. But you know what? They weren't kidding the rich man. See, for the rich man, the games were all over. He gambled his soul and he lost. But his brothers were still playing the game. And he knew it. He knew it. <clears throat> you see the way the rich man lived. Uh, he, he's he's playing this gambling game with his soul. All right. But somehow or the other, Lazarus was affected by that game. See how he treated his soul, how he cared for his soul, had surrounding dynamics in the lives of everybody around him. And it happened to be Lazarus is one of those people. See, Lazarus is begging for begging for something to eat <clears throat> rich man I have nothing to eat can I just have a few crumbs rich man says I got bigger and better things to do see how I care for my soul it has serious dynamics how I care for my soul has serious dynamics in your life. It does. Now how you care for your soul has serious dynamics in every single person's life. And it's sitting here this morning. You see, because if I s- treat my soul like trash, 
I'll treat yours like trash too. Somehow that works. And it'll affect my children. And it'll affect their souls. This business of souls serious business. Because that's the question that remained after all said and done was their soul right with God? That's the big question. You know why that's the question? Because we all know there's an eternal dynamic that keeps on going. Romans 14, Paul is addressing the issue of whether you eat meat or not eat meat, and and he, he's discussing this, and he's giving them some direction. And, he, and, and, and in the middle of all this, it, it seemed like he just pops up with this this concept. And he says in Romans 14.7, in relation to this whole discussion, he says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. You and I cannot live. It is impossible for us to live without impacting the people around us. And how we're going to impact them around us has a great deal to do with how I view my soul. So, do I care not only about my soul, but do I care about your soul? Am I doing what I can to add to the health of your soul? And this whole meat issue, Paul, in verse 13 says, Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. When I put a stumbling block in your way, or an occasion to fall, I am affecting your soul. I just simply am. I will either add to the health of the souls around me, or I will tempt them to give up. You see, if I value my soul, I will also value yours. First Peter one twenty two says this seeing ye have purified your souls. Alright? Well that happened without any effort. Something purified without effort? You ever hear of anything being purified without effort? 
All right. So so you get this chunk of gold and you get it out of, get it get it out of the the mine, you know, and and you hold it in your hand all at once. All, all the rocks just kind of melt through your fingers and you're left with gold in your hand. Work like that? No. No. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with pure heart fervently. So if I have purified my soul, there will be an outworking of that, of unhypocritical love, pure. And it's going to have heat in it, fervently, the Bible says. I'm encouraged when I was reading James 1 unless someone here has ulterior motives that I don't read I believe that your presence here this morning is a result of you caring about your soul People say, I can stay home and, you know, I can go to the Holy Roller Mattress Church. You know, I just feel so holy, I just roll over and get back to sleep. You know, it's like, I don't need to go to church. Uh, don't believe it for a second. <clears throat> Wherefore, my beloved brother, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of God worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to do what? What's it say? Someone. It is able to save your soul. Being here this morning and hearing God's word, it's not because I'm up here, it's because of the word of God. But we get up, we come here and we listen. That word is able to save your soul. It is the only thing that has a capability of transforming our lives, getting us right with God, and, and cultivating a relationship with Him. And, and being right with God and knowing what God wants for our life. We can never, we, we, we can never purify our lives laying in bed. Sorry about that. No, I'm not sorry. That's the way it is. In verse 22 he says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So we come, we hear, it has a capability of saving our souls, but we got to leave this place, and we got to make it happen.
see my soul can flourish or it can just kind of dry up. But it can never die. It can never die. It will never die. Never die. Never. It can. Because there is eternity locked into that that can never be unlocked. It is one of the non-negotiable things of life. You can't change it. I can't change it. Nobody can change it because God put it there and it will always be there. Our soul is inseparable from eternity. Denying it doesn't change a thing. Ignoring it doesn't change a thing. Neglecting it is certain, certainly deadly insanity. Eli Yotze used to say there's only two classes of people in the world that can possibly be called sane. That is the people that are right with God and the people that are getting right with God. That is the only two possibilities. All others are a form of insanity. Because because Eternity is locked into our souls. There's only two places that that soul can go, and the Bible is very clear about it. It can go to heaven, or it can go to hell. Wherever I find myself, wherever you find yourself, in that great day is where we will be forever with that truth can there be anything in this life more important for me to address than my soul Anything. Does it even make sense that I would care about anything else than my soul? You have a soul. You're going to do something with it this week. You will nourish it. You will care for it. You will neglect it. Something will happen this week with your soul. 
I would encourage you, feed it, nourish it. I guarantee you, if you care for your soul this week, there's people around you that will know it. Because it will change your life. It will change my life. Care about your soul. Care about the souls of others around you. Care about your brother or sister in the church. Care about their soul. The incredible, mind-boggling thought that God has given us as parents the responsibility to care for our children's souls is a staggering thought. Care about your friends. Care about those who don't know God. Who are neglecting their souls. Care about them. Pray for them. Those who care. Those who nourish their souls. Those who have their souls right with God. The Bible promises eternal rest. This life's a battle. You know it. I know it. It takes a lot of effort. Do what God asks us to do. But there is rest. Great invitation by Christ Himself. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light.